This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We're continuing this sermon series called Who is Jesus? And as we see him in the upper room, we see that Jesus is our teacher. And that's what John shows us in his gospel. Really, uh, chapters 13 through the end of 17 is in the upper room, this long teaching section that that must have really moved John. And so we're going to look at the very beginning part, a memorable moment in his teaching. So I just want you to picture yourself in that upper room. I want you to picture yourself with Jesus and what this must have been like as I read these words from John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you really going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, or probably better translated, master. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as you welcome us into this upper room through your word, we pray that you would let your teaching still speak, that we would have ears to hear, and that we would put your teaching into practice as we watch you walk to the cross and through the empty tomb. Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of your work. In your name we pray, amen. Do you want to know who had the hardest job this Holy Week? 
our administrative assistant, Carrie Nimmer, I asked her if I could tell you this, but she definitely had the hardest job of the week because she was in charge of arranging all the seating arrangements. And it was hard because when we opened up for, for seats a couple weeks ago, you can imagine Easter filled up right away. And that makes sense because Easter is really the culmination of the year. It's the, the culmination of Christianity. It's, it's really the focus of the Christian church. It's when we want to invite all of our friends and relatives and, and everybody wants to go to Easter and participate in Easter. So that makes sense that that filled up. And then, and then Good Friday filled up. Which also makes sense that even in a, in a secularized world, we still all understand that if you have no Good Friday, you have no Easter. And so that filled up. And then last of all, coming into this afternoon today, this filled up. Monday, Thursday. And it's kind of a, a, a different group of people as I looked at who registered uh, for the different services. You know, we have lots of visitors for Easter and Good Friday, but not for Monday, Thursday, and that's okay. Monday, Thursday can kind of seem like a strange holiday to celebrate, especially if you're new to Christianity. And, and, and so it's okay, as I mentioned earlier, that Monday, Thursday, it means command, and so I think maybe this strange word maybe keeps people away. It keeps, you know, is it Monday or Thursday? Which day am I supposed to show up, right? But it means command. It's the night that Jesus commanded his disciples to love one another. He says, this is the command I give you to love one another. He also gave the command to take and eat, take and drink, to practice the Lord's Supper. And so it was part of an intimate gathering of just him and his apostles, his and his 11 or his 12 disciples. And, and it wasn't a large group gathering. And so it's okay if it's just a, a smaller group gathering of, of people that are, are more connected to our church. Uh, as I looked at the, the people registered, you know, I recognize a lot of the names were, were members of our congregation or, or people who have been in, connected with our congregation. I've spent quite a bit of time getting to know some of you, and, and I know that many of you uh, went to Christian schools. Many of you are reading the Bible with us. Many of you have been attending Victory for a long time. You have lots of Bible knowledge, and so I have a unique opportunity tonight. Something that doesn't happen very often at Victory, I get to talk to the most experienced people in our congregation. People who have lots of, of, of biblical or maybe theological or experience. And, and I get to just talk to you guys. And here's the question I want to answer this evening. What are we going to do with our biblical experience and knowledge? That's the question I want to answer this evening. What are we going to do with all this biblical knowledge and experience? What are we going to do with it? If that's who we are, if, if, if we've been attending Victory for a while and we've learned some things and we, we maybe have been reading the Bible a little bit, what are we going to do with all this knowledge? What are we going to do with this experience? What are we going to do with these things that we've learned about Jesus? What are we going to do with this experience? And to answer that question, we're going to go back to that upper room where Jesus shows himself as a teacher. And it must have had a, a, a huge impact on John, as I mentioned, because when you look at the other writings of Jesus, uh, what Matthew wrote, what Mark wrote, what Luke wrote, they tell a lot about the three-year ministry of Jesus. 
But John, when he writes from chapters 13 through the end of chapter 17, a large portion of his, of his book is just in this upper room. And so it was on this evening that it, was, it must have had such a deep impact in John that he remembered vividly this teaching that Jesus had to his disciples. And so let's, let's see Jesus as a teacher this evening. Let's watch him teach and, and let's experience his teaching. And this is what we read at the beginning of John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, dot, dot, dot. And so they were celebrating the Passover meal. It was on this evening, Thursday night, they were celebrating the Passover meal, and, and Pastor Bill told us a pretty interesting insight that it was on, on Palm Sunday. Last Sunday would have been the time that they would have chosen the, the lamb for the Passover meal. And now they are gathering this upper room, and they're practicing this Passover meal that they had practiced as the Hebrew people for the last 1,400 years, since the time of Moses. And every year they had, had, had participated in this meal as a memorial meal to look back to how God rescued them out of Egyptian slavery through the blood of a lamb. But Jesus knew that this was a meal that didn't just point backwards. It was a meal that also pointed forwards. In fact, he was the fulfillment of the meal. He was that lamb and it's tomorrow, Good Friday, when he knew that he would be up on that cross as that sacrificial lamb to pay for the sins of the world. And so he knew that his time was short with his disciples. This was the, the last time that he would really be a teacher in the, in, in the way that he had been teaching them the last three years. That John says he was about to return to the Father, uh, not to be far away from us, but to take up his role as king, as the resurrected, ascended king over the world, to rule in a different capacity. And he had his last kind of moment, this intimate moment with his disciples, the last moment of teaching. I don't know if you've ever been around a pastor or teacher when they're giving their last lesson. Have you ever listened to a pastor giving his last sermon or a teacher at the end of their career giving their last lesson to their students? You know that they, they pull out all the stops. They give you their best illustrations. They speak as clearly as they can, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He's using his most vivid illustrations. And so, this is what he does. He knows he's about to return to the Father. So, verse 4, he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus, their, their master, he started washing their feet. And this is surprising for quite a few reasons. Um, in first century Palestine and in the Middle East and Jerusalem, 
before you would enter into a room, you would wash your feet. Just like now, we're kind of conditioned. You know, we walk in a room, we wash our hands. We, we do the same thing. Like before you eat a meal, you, you make sure you wash your hands. And that's what custom that they would be doing because they spent all their time um, walking in the streets and sandals and dirt and everything else you could imagine would be on their feet. And then when they sat down in a meal like this, they weren't sitting up on chairs. They'd be kind of reclining on couches and pillows. And you're basically having someone else's feet in your face, right? And so you would wash your feet. But usually what would happen is somebody would take care of making sure there was a servant at the door to wash your feet. Now, somebody must have dropped the ball. Now, can you just imagine what's going on in that room? Like, I thought you hired the servant. No, I thought you hired the servant. And nobody did. And so they walked into that room and nobody practiced the custom of washing their feet. So you have all these smelly feet in everybody's face right there. And nobody feels like it's their job to do the dirty work. And the master at the table gets up and starts to wash their feet. I mean, this is just bizarre. This is just shocking. This is like going to the Tesla headquarters and seeing Elon Musk out there washing, shining everybody's shoes and washing everybody's car. It's like going to the, the Facebook headquarters and seeing Mark Zuckerberg out there cleaning the toilets, right? Just not something you would expect to see. In fact, Peter gets the message and he sees this as shocking. And so it says in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, no way, Jesus. This is not how it goes. The most important person in the room doesn't take the role of a servant, doesn't get down and wash people's dirty, grimy feet. And verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You don't get my teaching right now. You'll get it soon. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Now, do you remember in school where there was that one student who would always interrupt the teacher when they're teaching their most important lesson, right? They always be raising their hand or interrupting the teacher or whatever. That's what Peter is doing. Jesus is trying to pour out his heart. He's trying to make this vivid, beautiful illustration. And Peter, he can't stop interrupting. Can't stop making it about him. And so Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He's saying, let me show you something. I want you to participate in this teaching. But when Peter heard, you have no part with me, Peter can't grasp what's going on. He's thinking, oh, I have to participate in this. Then I get to be, have a special role. Maybe Jesus is giving us another sacrament or another ritual or, or maybe this is some special secret feet washing that, that will only be a part of our really important disciples. And, and so because he thinks that, that something super spiritual is going on, uh, it says in verse 9, Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me the full treatment. If this is some super spiritual ritual that you're starting right now, give me it all. And Jesus wants to just say, Peter, just be quiet. <laughs> just listen. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone is clean. 
So Jesus is saying, I'm not starting some new sacred ritual here. I'm not doing anything super um, you know, secret here. You're, you're already clean, you disciples, minus Judas, who had already rejected Jesus in his heart. Judas had already walked away from him, and he was planning how to betray him. But everyone else, he was saying to them, you've already repented of your sins. You've been baptized. You've heard me teach the good news over these last three years. You are clean. And I think if Jesus was here right now, he would say something similar to you who are in the room and you who are watching online. Many of you, you've, you've been baptized. You've heard this message about the gospel. You've repented of your sins. You are clean. You're clean. You're forgiven. Not because of how much knowledge you have, not because of your experience, not because of your upbringing, not because of any of those things, but purely out of God's grace, his love for you. He, Jesus has died for you, lived for you. You are clean. And you've heard this message over and over and over again. The question is, again, what are we going to do with this knowledge? What are we going to do with this knowledge and experience? If you've been to church more than once here at Victory, you've heard that message, you are clean. You know something that other people in our community, the pe many people who are going to show up on Sunday have never heard that message. So what are you going to do with that knowledge and experience? And that's what Jesus is going to answer in this final section. It says in verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and, again, you could translate this master, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus is saying, I'm not doing anything super, super spiritual here. This is a very clear illustration. Don't read too much into this. You who have all this knowledge, you've been with me for three years, disciples. I poured my heart in you. Now with your knowledge, don't go off and win a Bible trivia contest. Don't show off how much you know. Use your status, whatever you know, whatever experience you have, and now take the role of a servant. Take the role of the last person in line. Take the role of the person who serves. You walk into the room and, and you think you might be the person who knows the most about Jesus or have the most spiritual experience. Use that experience to serve. That's what Jesus is teaching. In fact, he sums it up with this, this beautiful little ending here, verse 17. Now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know this, you, you, you know all the things I've taught you over these last three years, you disciples, and now you know what I taught you right here to wash people's feet. You know this. You could, you could answer all the right answers on a test. You know all the biblical facts, but now you'll be blessed if you do them, if you put them into practice. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to know too. 
Now that you know this, you know that God loves you. You know that God has forgiven you. You know that God is for you. You know that death has been defeated. You don't have to worry about death. You know that you're going to be resurrected. You know so much. You have so much experience. And now you're blessed if you do them. So here's kind of the big overarching idea to remember from this this section that sacred knowledge must lead to sacrificial service. Sacred knowledge must lead to sacrificial service. This, This sacred knowledge that you have, this background that you have, even if you just started coming to victory, you still know way more than many people in your community, in your neighborhood. This sacred knowledge that you have, now let it lead to sacrificial service. So what would that look like? What does that mean? Well, today was a, another important day, right? Opening day at the Brewers Stadium, right? What is the goal of the Brewers organization? Well, the goal for the Brewers organization is not just to get a good team. It's not just to win a bunch of games, which I guess they won. Didn't someone told me they won on, their way, on the way in? It's not just to win a bunch of games. Their goal as an organization is to get as many people who drive by the stadium to not just go into the parking lot and have a tailgating party. They want to get as many people from that drive by the stadium to come in and sit in the stands, to become spectators, to buy that ticket, to buy that hot dog, right? That's what they want. They want as many people who drive by the stadium to buy the ticket to be spectators in the stadium. And I think for far too long, we thought that the goal of the Christian church is the same thing. That the goal of the Christian church is just to get all the people who drive by victory to come and sit in victory and be spectators. If we can just get as many people to drive by and then sit in here, or or maybe just get them at least to, to watch online. But here's the goal of Christianity, according to Jesus, what he's showing here, what not just to know these things, but to do these things. And so what Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to be in the stands. I want you to get onto the field. I want you to get into the game. That's what Jesus is saying. And so here's the point. Get into the game. Get onto the field. Get into the game and participate in the ministry. Now, what would that look like? Well, there's some obvious things that you can do, right, to, to, to participate, but it's going to look, this is going to look different for everybody. It's going to look absolutely different for everybody. And, and there's some things that you can do here at church, like be a greeter, or I was talking to somebody last week, say, what's that safety team all about? They want to, to participate in, in safety team, but that's just step one, just to participate in this little stuff we do here on the weekends. The real get into the game is to make this an everyday work of your life to find ways to wash people's feet in your own way. So maybe you could ask these three questions. What comes easy to me? What do I enjoy? What is my passion? And who can I serve? Those three questions. You could ask those three questions. What comes easy to me? What do I enjoy? What is my passion? And whom can I serve? Because you have all these gifts and talents. You have some things that I can't do and I have some things that you can't do. We, we have some things that come naturally to us. So what comes easy to me? What do I enjoy? What do I enjoy doing those two things together? And then how does it lead to serve people? Maybe it leads me to serve my children. Maybe it leads to, to serve whoever's in front of me. 
but to get into the game, to use those questions to lead you to say, whose feet can I wash today? How can I take last place in the room so that I can serve those who are in the room? Now, what would happen if all of us, this, everybody here, everybody online, all of us here who have all this experience and knowledge of God's word, we say, I'm going to take all this experience, all this knowledge, and I'm going to find my own way to get into the game. I'm going to make this not just a Sunday thing or a Thursday thing. I'm going to make this an everyday thing. What would that look like if we all did it? Well, what had happened in the early Christian church? It wasn't the crowds that started the early Christian church. It was these 11 disciples. These 11 disciples who heard Jesus teach, who watch him die on the cross, and then watch him come back to life on the other side of the tomb to say that he has destroyed death, and so you don't need to be afraid to die because I'm going to resurrect you again, and I'm coming back again. They saw him ascend into heaven, and they experienced the, the filling of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. It was these 11 disciples that birthed the church. It started a, a house church, kind of small group ministry, really, that, that started in people's homes. And it became so large by the time 313 AD came around, it had overtaken the Roman Empire and became a legal religion. It was because of their devotion and dedication, even to death. All of them would have died except for John for testifying they saw Jesus alive. Their devotion to the kingdom of God started movements that started the first orphanages started movements that started the first hospitals, started movements that started the universities that we cherish was from these 11 disciples. If God could do that and change the world with these 11 disciples who had experienced Easter and went through Easter, what could God do with all the experience in this room? If he could use 11 disciples, what could he do with 160 or however many that are here and then all the people that are online? What could God do with us as we walk through Good Friday and we lay our sins on the cross, not to pick them up again, but to lay all of our guilt and shame on the cross tomorrow and let Jesus receive it. And then we receive the good news that he rose again in our place and then we let the Holy Spirit fill us with that confidence and that love, and then God sends us off like those early disciples. What could God do with it? I think he could change the world all over again. So here's what I encourage you to do. Walk with Jesus this Holy Week. Walk with Jesus tomorrow as we go to the cross. And again, lay your sins down and don't pick them up again. Let all the guilt and shame fall on the cross. He is your substitute And then rejoice. Have a party on Sunday. This is our big day of the year. Celebrate. Make it a big day. In fact, make it every Sunday. That's how we worship on Sunday. Make Easter a big deal in your home. Rejoice and be glad. Sing every song you can think of. Eat some really good, sweet food on Sunday. Enjoy it. And then let God use you and serve somebody. Because we need to take our sacred knowledge and turn it into sacrificial service. Let's not just be people who sit in the stands. Let's get into the game. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would show us what it means to serve. We saw you wash the disciples' feet, and now we want to know what would it look like for us to to wash people's feet, to take care of the pe- to people around us, to, 
to take the role of a servant. Lord God, you did this for us with your sacrifice. Now help us to do it in our life to the people around us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.